From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel. Providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. Hi, I'm very excited, as I am with all my podcasts, to meet someone new. Uh, And this is also a person who is Jerusalem-based, so uh, I'm very happy to be hosting today Doug Goldstein, who is a certified financial planner. He's also the owner of the Jerusalem-based Profile Investment Services Limited, which is a company that specializes in helping people living in Israel with their U.S. brokerage, IRA, and investments account. He's also written four books, including the Retirement Planning Book and his most recent bestseller, Rich as a King, How the Wisdom of Chess Can Make You a Grand Master of Investing. In addition, he writes a weekly piece about financial planning in the Jerusalem Post. Welcome, Doug. Thank you very much. It's really really an honor to be here. So let me get right into it. We live in interesting times, as we know, but particularly for U.S. citizens living in Israel. So my first question is, how come a lot of U.S. brokerage firms are telling their clients in Israel that they have to close their accounts? You know, Phil, this is really quite an amazing event. It started after 9-11 when the U.S. passed the Patriot Act, which was designed to stop terrorists from funding their activities. And you can talk about the politics of that or whether it actually worked on a, at a different time. But practically, what it really means is that the, a lot of U.S. companies are finding that because of anti-money laundering regulations or a variety of other regulations, it's too much trouble for them to maintain their U.S. citizen clients who live in Israel or actually anywhere outside the United States. And they're sending what we call Dear John letters saying, you know, Dear John, sorry we can't handle your account anymore. You have 30 or 60 days to, to get out. And uh, it's a real problem for a lot of Americans. Luckily, there are solutions, but people get shocked when they get these letters. And it's not only that they're getting these, as you call them, Dear John letters, but maybe you can help my listeners understand when they get a letter from, let's say, one of the large uh, mutual fund companies, we, won't, we, we don't have to name names, where they say, uh, we're not throwing you out as a client, but we won't let you buy any more uh, of our product. You can't reinvest the dividends as every other uh, American investor can. Where, where is that coming from? Yeah, it's coming from a similar place. The fact is, I often tell clients that if someone doesn't want you as a client, don't go begging them to stay in. It's, you know, it's a good time maybe to, to really reevaluate what you have going. The mutual funds themselves are also concerned with a lot of the regulations. They don't understand cross-border investing. They don't really even get that people live outside the United States. They, they can't imagine that. And because they, they, they do a business decision. I, I don't think, by the way, some people say, oh, this is part of a boycott against Israel. I don't believe that's the case. The mutual funds make a business decision. The lawyers say, you know, for us to manage the compliance of this, it's too much, so let's just close them down. Okay, that, that certainly caused a lot of problems for people. And referring to your comment just a few moments ago, uh, I'm always amazed as things have developed and Americans um, have problems which maybe we'll talk about later, having bank accounts in Israel or anywhere outside of the United States, that that was really the moment that that was the catalyst for all of what we're living through right now. When those two towers came down in New York, um, 
I think none of, none of us, no one realized the impact it would have on people a decade later in terms of what they can do with their money, where they can bank, what their banks want from them in terms of information. And, and what you were saying, it, re, it really started then. Yeah, I think that, that was the beginning of it. The fact is, however, I'll tell you one of the main rules that I think a lot of the companies are concerned about are the anti-money laundering rules, which actually make the, the brokerage firm or the mutual fund company, the brokers who sell it to you or the compliance officer criminally liable if you are laundering money for terrorist purposes. So that no one wants to go to jail for keeping a client. So they just they close out that business. Other companies say, you know, we are able to know who our clients are. And by knowing who the clients are, they're able to, to deal with that issue. Okay, so let me uh, go to another area. And I see you've written a book on retirement, but usually the most popular investment for people in the United States connected with the retirement are our IRA accounts. And uh, my question is as follows. If someone has an IUS and the brokerage firm tells him to leave, or I've seen people inherit IRAs and they're told we won't let you roll them over into, um, you know, to stay in that same brokerage house, what will be the tax consequences of them having to close that account? Well, certainly the, the, it, the big mistake that people make is they go, oh, I can't keep my IRA at this big brokerage firm anymore. Okay. You know, cash it out and send me a check. And as you know, if they're below 59 and a half, they're not only going to have to pay tax on that distribution, but they'll also pay a 10% penalty to the IRS for taking an early distribution. And if they're over 59 and a half, it'll be counted as a distribution that's fully taxable, even though they won't have to pay the fine. But the main thing is what they should do is they should transfer the IRA, not to Israel, because I don't know of any Israeli banks or brokerage firms correct, that correct. handle a U.S. IRA, but just transfer it to a U.S. brokerage firm that, will, that can handle an IRA and accepts the fact that you live overseas. That's one. And the second thing you mentioned was inherited IRAs. This we see a lot, and it's shocking to me. In fact, just the other day, I spoke to a fellow in Singapore who said, Doug, my brokerage firm in America... Uh, my mother passed away and I'm supposed to get her IRA, but they won't set up an inherited IRA for me. So what do I do? And what that brokerage firm was saying to him was, listen, you're going to have to take the distribution of all the IRA and pay all the taxes now instead of doing what the U.S. allows people to do, which is to keep the money in an IRA and to keep benefiting from the tax deferral. So I, I see this all the time all over the world. All right. So before I move on to my next question, We've talked about the U.S. citizens living abroad who get the Dear John. I've mentioned the U.S. citizens who are limited in terms of their investments, particularly in, in U.S. mutual funds. Now we have people who are inheriting IRAs or perhaps want to open an IRA. Um, what's the solution for these people? Where can they go? There are companies that specialize in what are called cross-border investors. This is, this is where I spend most of my day because... Uh, the brokerage firms are required to know their clients. You have to know who your client is. You have to check up on him. You have to talk with them at least or meet them and, and get to understand their situation. And because we're here, we're actually able to do that. And our compliance officers who sit in the United States because it's a U.S. brokerage account, they specialize in dealing with Patriot Act clients, cross-border clients, anti-money laundering rules. They, they spent the time to know about it, so they, in fact, are happy. This is their specialty, having clients who live outside the United States. So it's simply a question of finding companies who specialize in this area 
and who are willing to open the account for you without uh, without kicking. So they do exist. Everyone has not uh, abandoned uh, trying to serve U.S. citizens living outside of the U.S. Not at all. Frankly, I often, I mean, I joke about it a little bit, but the fact that so many of these brokerage firms are kicking out their clients has been a big boost to, to my business because they all come over to me and say, Doug, you know, are you willing to open the account for someone living in Israel? And I kind of laugh because that is our business. Okay. Well, that's, I think that's very, very good news for, for my listeners. Um, let's talk about someone who might be listening to this podcast who hasn't moved to Israel yet. If someone is planning on moving to Israel, maybe one of those people who are going to be on the Nefesh Benefesh flights this summer, what should he know about maintaining his U.S. investment accounts? So a lot of times the people will uh, keep their account where it is, which is basic. In theory, it's okay. But in practice, what I've found is that, you know, once you live overseas, your financial life is different. For example, municipal bonds have a different uh, accounting and your cash flow is different and your social security is going to be taxed differently and you may get Israeli pensions. And these are all things which, nothing against American accountants, but American accountants who don't specialize in cross-border have no idea. And Phil, I'm, I'm guessing that 100% of your clients in Israel who've worked with American accountants have discovered that those accountants didn't really understand all the details, and that's why they needed to, to work with someone like you who understands. It's not that you you know everything about every tax law, but you know about cross-border uh, investing and cross-border taxation. And someone who's 99% of his clients are in America is just not going to know about it. So in the same way you'd work with an accountant in Israel who's able to help you with your U.S. and Israeli taxes, you should work with a financial advisor and you know who work who can work together and and uh, and help to make sure that you're not a a breaking any laws and b doing something that that is uh, let's just nicely say inefficient in terms of your investments. Okay, that's uh, you know b b big things. People you know they move their bodies, but they're hesitant sometimes to move their monies. And they, I think uh, certainly I've seen over the years working with new Olim and and older Olim, they feel still more secure with their investments being in the U.S. So th this is this is so important. Um, but in light of what you said a few moments ago, if the minute they let's say change their address to uh, you know, somewhere in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or Beit Shemesh or Modi'in, are they going to get that John Doe letter? Or even Efrat. Okay. I don't know if it'll happen that moment. I think a lot of brokerage firms are a little bit slow at uh, dealing with it. But what I'll tell clients is usually a few months before you make Aliyah is to get in touch with us, and then you can we can move the account over. Again, it's important to realize that the accounts that we deal with and other companies like us are U.S. brokerage accounts. It's exactly the same as you have in the States. You have SIPC insurance, and you have access to all the same stocks and bonds. It's the same account. It's just that the, the brokerage firm who oversees it is cross-border friendly. So I'll tell people that several months before, choose an advisor who you want to work with, and then move the assets over to his or her firm so that they can begin to help you to develop a strategy based on, on your new life in your new country. And of course, you get the benefits that everything is in English, and you have online access, and you can get a checkbook and a debit card. So all the the bells and whistles that you're used to will remain. But as soon as you move to Israel, you just fill in a change of address form and you don't have to worry that you're about to have to deal with the panic of finding a new advisor because you will have already done that. So they can uh, meet you by Skype or by phone um, and do all this before they even get on that uh, flight. They do that or even sometimes when people come for a pilot trip, they stop in, they fill in the papers and then 
Great. Okay, that, that's very helpful. Um, you deal with the people in Israel who get inheritances from the United States. This is something certainly I see in my work. Um, what are some of the big mistakes that you see people make when handling these inheritances? I think one of the areas that people... Uh, well, I'll give you an example because it, it sort of just came up recently. Uh, a widow came into my office. Her, her husband had passed away just a few months earlier. And he had really been into the stock market and owned a lot of stocks and he liked the stock market and he traded and, and she was not involved, which is a separate story and something that, that I talk about a lot that I think both spouses should be involved, but it is what it is and she wasn't involved. And she wanted to respect the way her husband managed the portfolio and said, okay, Doug, my husband used to manage the stocks. Can you do it also? So I said, you know, before we get into managing the stocks, let's just talk about what your needs are. And the fact was her needs were just to get income so that she could continue living in the property that she was living in. And the high risk of the portfolio just wasn't appropriate. So rather than the mistake she was making was keeping everything in, in the stock market like her husband had done when it really wasn't appropriate for her at this stage. Do you find that, uh, is there sometimes an emotional attachment because, uh, you know, the, the the husband or the father or the mother, you know, was emotionally attached to certain stocks and they, they don't want to sell them because uh, that was their favorite stock. Yeah, that's one. And I'll tell you the, the other area, which that, of course, is true. And I see that even when people uh, are dealing with their own money, you know, they we before hopefully someone hasn't died and they're still dealing with it. But uh, but not just that, of course, there's the risk of, of the tax risk. You know, if you own a stock and it's at a big profit and you sell it. Uh, you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax on it. Now, sometimes when someone dies, as far as the U.S. is concerned, you know, they can reset the cost basis. Right, it, correct. Stepped up basis. As the accountant, because I don't give tax advice, maybe you can just describe what that is. Yeah, basically, under U.S. rules, when someone dies, uh, the person who inherits that asset, it could be stock, it could be real estate, it, it could be uh, an artwork, um, gets stepped up as if the person who inherited bought it at the value on the date of the deceased death. So if, you know, a stock that, that had been purchased by the deceased when it was $20 a share and it went up to 100 uh, when they inherit it, it's as if they paid 100 for it. So if they sell it the next day, there will be, there'll be no taxable gain, even though the stock did go up. Uh, the United States government basically forgives that, that appreciation. But it, it is more complicated if the people are also paying tax in Israel? Yes, and that, of course, depends on if they uh, are within their 10-year exemption period, then it's not a problem. If they are beyond that, uh, one can go today for a private ruling with Masach Nassah and actually get the same treatment you get in the U.S. Um, people sometimes are not aware of that, but the there is there is a path under Israeli tax law that allows someone to represent you. You generally use a US, Israeli accountant or a lawyer, and the, if the deceased did not live in Israel, they will give you a step up. Wow, that is such an important bit of information. Anyone listening to this show who benefits from that would could possibly save uh, huge sums of money. Okay. Uh, again, this is a little out of your area, but because you do deal with, uh, obviously, not only Americans, but a lot of Americans, um, why do you think Americans have so much trouble with investing through their Israeli banks? Yeah, so one of the, the rules that was passed in the United States is known as FATCA, which is the, uh, which is the, the rule that's making 
non-American banks all over the world, those banks have to let the IRS know information about their U.S. customers. So, for example, if you open an account at an Israeli bank and you trade in stocks or bonds, then that bank has to file the information with the IRS. And if they fail to do that or fail to do it properly, the bank is subject to 30% withholding of its own assets in the United States. So the penalty is so huge for foreign institutions that don't properly file with the U.S. that many, many, many of them are just kicking out their U.S. clients. And you're right, I don't deal with the Israeli banks, but I deal with the people after they get kicked out. Right. You know, they, even if they want to buy American stocks through their U.S. bank account, which frankly, I'm not always sure is such a good idea, but even if they want to do that, they, they still get kicked out because the banks don't want, to, don't want to deal with them. That doesn't mean you can't have a regular bank account, you know, to pay your bills and to get a checkbook. And a, sure, of course. And a local card, but it's, it's not the same as having investments. Okay, so uh, in conclusion, I just would like to ask you, in other words, you are uh, a prolific author, and I see you have a new book, but can you tell us a little about uh, any of your books, or all of them, or ones you'd like to speak to my listeners about? Sure. Well, my most recent book was a book that I wrote with a world chess champion, a woman named Susan Polgar. We had done research about how the strategies of chess can be applied to investing. The book is called Rich as a King. And it's not meant for chess players per se. In other words, you don't have to play chess at all. We, we really just use the metaphor of chess to illuminate the ideas of how to do financial planning and how to really become a strategic investor. And you can find out about that at richasaking.com. But the other book that I think is probably most helpful for your listeners, and in fact, they can get the, the ebook version for free, although, of course, they're welcome to buy it at Amazon, is the retirement book. Uh, the retirement book is you can get for free just by going to my website, profile-financial.com. And that is a, a series of short essays. Each one's about one or two pages with specific questions and specific answers about how to manage your assets in retirement. And there, there's a big focus on people living in Israel. When should someone start reading that book? At what age? Certainly by your 40s. Okay. You've got to start planning early. I, I, I certainly agree. Okay. This has been a very helpful to all my listeners, certainly the ones who live here, but the ones who don't live here yet um, or don't even have in their plans to live here but still need some good investment advice. Tell us, Tell my listeners how they can get in touch with you. So the best way is probably through my corporate website, which is www profile-financial.com, or you can send me an email to Doug, D-O-U-G, at profile-financial.com. And uh, once you start there at the website, you'll, you'll learn a lot and find out also about the books and, and my radio show as well. Fantastic. I thank you very, very much. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing more about uh, your company and your uh, books and future books. Phil, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 